Over the Balls brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. And Nella by Fitbiomics. Not all probiotics are the same. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside Division II Men's Coach of the Year and the new head coach of the women's program, Loyola Marymount, Chris Shamadies. Chris, how are we this morning? I'm good, Kev. The day after a national team game is always a good day. Absolutely. I guess I'm glad you got a chance to watch it because you're taking over a new program. you got all kinds of things on your desk, so we uh, appreciate you joining us today on OTB. Big win, as you said last night. Uh, one of the most bizarre qualifying games I've ever witnessed due to the extreme conditions that uh, both teams were forced to play in. We'll take a look at that and, uh, and so much more with this week's guest. I'm going to bring right on He's one of our returning champions here on Over the Ball, but a man who, uh, who really knows the ins and outs of the U.S. men's national team, which, uh, which is obvious because he's, he's the senior editor at Soccer America, uh, the soccer paper of record. Mr. Mike Boitola, welcome to the program. It's my pleasure to be here as always. Good to see Hi. you. Good, man. So, uh, so last night I had to work. I was, I'm in uh, Palm Beach. I'm at the Improv uh, in Florida here. I'm backstage in the green room watching the game with another comic. Uh, when McKenney scored that goal, I let out this big yell of like, I don't know what it was, this guttural yell of like relief, excitement. And you know, I've been so preoccupied and worried about the, you know, thinking about the playing conditions that, uh, I don't know, man. It was just euphoric when that goal came in because it was things we haven't seen before. An early goal, a uh, goal off a set piece. Um, and so as I yell, you know, I don't think it was like fucking A or something. I'm not sure. The, back, the door to the green room opens up and this hammered woman comes in, dressed to the nines. And she's like, who's shouting back here? And I'm like, holy shit, a civilian in the green room. And, and I'm like, uh, that would be me. And she's like, all right, we'll keep it down. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, wow. Which it never happens. And then she walks through the green room in front of the other comedian and, and uses the bathroom. <laughs> and then, so she, so I'm like, wow, I just get yelled at by some woman I don't know. And she's in the green room's bathroom. And then this guy knocks on the door. He's got the black Armani suit on and the earpiece. He's a security, private security guy. He goes, did a woman just come in here? <laughs> And I'm like, yes. He goes, oh, that's my, um, my cover. I, I, you know, she's a billionaires. Uh, I'm like, what? <laughs> she was a billionaire, uh, some heiress to a couple of things. I think she'd been married five times too. And she, I, what I just thought was so funny is like, hey, it's my world, man. You're just, you live in it. I, I own every room. Move out of my way. So, uh, so it was interesting. So wait, is this going to turn into a penthouse forum or are you done? Oh yeah. So now I got a, we, we got a summer place together. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, I'm so distracted by, cause I got to work and watch this game that I'm dying to watch. Uh, and then this, this happened. So it was, it was actually pretty funny in the end. Cause she walks out everybody's like, who's that? Everybody's like, I have no idea who it is. It's a rich woman. She can do shit. Um, and that's the thing down here in Palm beach, everybody's parents like invented something or this old money and they're all trust fund kids. You know, and I, I was telling Chris before we got on the air, one of my lines in college with the girls, I'd be like, it was like, yeah, well, my father, uh, you know, a lot of our money comes from my dad. He, he invented the garden weasel and um, we really pretty much no one's worked since. Hey, and it would work for them. So, all right, boys. So, so, so let's get to the game. Uh, quick thoughts, uh, Mike, on, um, you know, first of all, we'll talk about the playing conditions in a little bit, but there was a sense of relief, but that was, we had to deal with emotional shit that 
it was more than we usually have to because of the playing conditions. What were they thinking? I, I think it was embarrassing. I think it was shameful. Yeah. I think that, you know, to, for, the, for the U.S. to schedule a game in a place that is unsafe by its own guidelines, you know, one thing that's been interesting about the U.S. Soccer Federation is they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done on the health and safety front over the last yeah. five years, led by a Dr. George Champos. I mean, no other federation has done what they've done when it comes to heading, concussions, heat, humidity, mental health. Um, they should be commended for that. And then they have something on their website that shows you that that, that kind of game shouldn't be played. But even, you know, even if that wasn't like the case on the graph that they had, why in the world would you do that? You know, let's remember Honduras had, you know, the U.S. beat Honduras 6-0 at home last time around in San Jose. They beat them 4-1 in Honduras this time around, right? right? So they schedule a game in these conditions. Why? They, you know, I mean, they really, they're scared of Honduras. Besides that, you know, remember like 20 years ago, we used to like, you know, complain about other countries doing things like that, playing in, right. uh, you know, yeah. you know, you're like, I never imagined that the United States of America would, would stoop to that. Um, and, and then also it, it, it's flawed on many levels. I don't think it gave the U.S. an advantage at all. I think it endangered the U.S. players. Um I think they would have won by more if they played in better weather. Right. It was just an absurd thing to do. Um, you know, with the Federation, they should just admit it was a bad idea and say they're not going to do crap like that again. Well, I, I think they will, especially now that they won. There's not, there was, you know, no real damage done, unfortunately, other than to the psyche. But, you know, well, you sorry, let me say one more thing, Kevin, because yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot. What happens next time around, Right. Right. What happens when we go to Honduras and they remember that two other players got pulled off with hypothermia, that, you know, they had to go through all that stuff? You right. know, it, well, it, yeah, I would start we, worrying about the, the safety of, of our team when we travel. You know, that's just yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, look, when I played in Azteca and got hit with a bag of urine and a battery in the same day. It's like uh, the gamesmanship has been going on for a long time. I, and I think you and I have talked about this before. I think we were trying to figure out what our advantage was. And it all started with Mexico. We brought them to Columbus. Um, and we thought with the cold weather, it would be a problem. And you know what? It, it, it was a little bit. And we go to Azteca. We play at altitude and uh, with a very hostile, big crowd. Yeah, I think we just... We were just looking to try and even it up, but it yeah, didn't work. But that's not it, 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 even if that even if even if I bought that argument that you could get an edge, it doesn't work because they didn't get an edge with that. Right, you know, right. All the, so so we're trying to qualify for a World Cup in a place that needs air conditioning for its stadium because it's so hot, and then we play in a place where they have to come up with all kinds of devices to keep the players warm, you know, come up with ways to keep the the, the fans warm. I mean. This is soccer. It's a game right, that's right. supposed to be fun, and you're supposed to you – obviously, it's competitive, but how absurd is that? Play a game in a normal place, and their excuses are a joke. They said, oh, part of it was travel. Well, that okay, was bullshit. So that Hamilton, was, you knew that was right, bullshit. Hamilton is like the Toronto airport, I think, right? Right. takes two hours to fly to St. Paul, Minneapolis. takes three hours to fly to Orlando, and they're uh, on a charter – Jet. Right. So it, it just, you know, Ernie Stewart and, and, and Brian McBride and, and Greg Bearhalter, you know, Greg Bearhalter has made a lot of fantastic decisions. This one was a bad one. But for Ernie Stewart and, and, and Brian McBride to, to think this was a good idea 
for not one of the three of them to think, you know, this is really stupid. This is a waste of energy, a waste of resources. You know, thank goodness there weren't, you know, injuries. Um, yeah. The, 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 the U.S. has a lot of positive things going on right now with this team. They don't need – Yeah. Well, I, I, think, I think that's the big difference, Mike, is basically maybe you made this sort of decision back in 98 or something, but this team can play. Chris, what are your thoughts uh, on field conditions and the psyche? I mean, you yeah, play no, on the West Coast, but, you know, you're no, from the I East. Agree, I agree with Mike. And, you know, on the morning of the game, I'm driving my kid to school. He's 10. And I say, hey, by the way, there's a national team game today. He's like, oh, maybe we'll watch it later. And, and I said, yeah, they're playing in Minnesota. And he's 10. And he said, Minnesota, why, why don't we play in Miami? <laughs> exactly. uh, and he's 10. So, you know, yeah. I think that makes a little bit of sense as – as Einstein says, if you can't explain it to a 10-year-old, you probably don't know it. So I didn't have a good answer, so I didn't know it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you look at it as gamesmanship, you would do that if you're the inferior team. Uh, we're not the inferior team, and, and nor should we, uh, you know, maybe fall to those levels. We should be rising above to the standards that we want to create for not only getting through CONCACAF, but being a player at the national, at the international stage at a World Cup. And if we're doing that, you know, this is not the kind of thing that, you know, a Germany would do. You know, right. so th there's 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 a fine line there as to what this truly communicates to the players, which would be my ultimate concern. You know, and I agree with Mike as like Greg has made some good decisions. Obviously, this is maybe something that they don't uh, maybe not proud of. I think the early goal took a lot of pressure off of all of them. Um, but why put of our players, especially if I'm an agent of one of those players, I'm for sure on the phone today saying, guys, what are we doing? Do that this again. is not I, no, the way I, to I, do this. I don't think they're going to do that again. And, um, <laughs> you know, for, but I tell you what, like I teach the young kids how to do stand up comedy in this stand up and learn program. And one thing I tell them is no bad ideas because bad ideas lead to good ideas. Kids just keep you know, giving ideas. With that said, if we're all sitting in a room, I understand someone bringing up this idea. But then I also understand the concept of saying, okay, let's shelve that <laughs> and move on to some other ideas that we, you know, I can see you having the thought is what I'm saying, but yeah. to commit to it and to do it, it's like, shit, no. Yeah, but all these decisions from a head coaching perspective, it every decision communicates something to the players. And so, you know, by definition, this communicates to the players that we want and need to create an additional advantage or perceived advantage. And if I'm a player in that locker room, I want to say, I want to play. I, I want to yeah. play straight up. You know, and, and that's a part of who we are. And that's, you know, I, I think about it as, uh, you know, like if you had one of those bracelets, like what would Jesus do? Like what would Bruce Arena do? You know, you know, I don't think he's playing that game in Minnesota because he wants to kind of get after him in a, in a different way. Well, can you imagine? Right. A, um, so it's, it's about 50 degrees in London right now, like 55 degrees in London. Uh, you know, Bearhalter said that his players are and the European players are used to, quote, cool, unquote, conditions. Uh, because they play in Europe. It wasn't the same. If I'm playing in, if I'm in Germany or in, in England, I'm a player and I come to the United States camp, I wouldn't mind being in a nice warm place. I think that would psych me up for the game. I don't think playing in those conditions, you see Pulisic's ears or, or, or Bearhalter's nose in the post game. You know, it remind Bearhalter reminded me, he was like trying to show that he wasn't freezing. You know, it looked like he wanted to go to the locker room. Right, it reminded right. me about, we had a, tournament once when I was coaching uh, very young girls and it was cold and you know they were complaining about it so I went out there in shorts and uh, without really dressing up because I thought that would show them how uh, 
you know, uh, how it's really not that cold. Look at Coach Mike. He doesn't, you know, he's not worried about it. That froze my ass off. That was just stupid. <laughs> Came down with the flu. You know, everything <laughs> happened to you, man. Exactly. Where's Coach Mike this week? He's still in the hospital. Yeah. But, but, but so, yeah. So he showed got, us. Yeah. So, the, so they got their, you know, they got the home wins, which is good. They're in good shape. Um, I think that would have happened regardless. You know, Honduras, they came in there without a win in 10 games. It's not a game we were worried about. Um, the, uh, you know, so, so things are looking pretty good right now. And hopefully, uh, you know, they'll be able to qualify with, before the last game. You know, got the three-game window coming up in March. You know, I think – I'm not sure if it was you or Paul Kennedy who mentioned it in Soccer America, but my worry last night was that when a team loses so much and they're out of it, like Trinidad Tobago did, right, they put in these new young guys because they're not looking to qualify. They can't qualify anymore. And they play, you know, with some piss and vinegar. And that's what I was afraid of last night, that, that Honduras would be so offended and so annoyed at what happened. They'd put in some new guys. They'd give some fresh blood. And they'd give our guys a challenge. Um, so let's talk I think they bit. were. I think they were but they were too cold, so they couldn't execute that blast. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the players. Uh, you know, I'm a big Walker Zimmerman fan. I've been f- for a long time. He reminds me of the sort of old uh, central defenders. Um, he doesn't lose a ball in the air, man, and he pushes up. Uh, I think he's, he's pretty much solidified a position, don't you think, Mike? Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I like him. I think he's um, – I like him because for one of the reasons I like him is – you know he's not. He certainly is is strong. I mean, if you look at the, you look at the goalie scored, which you know video reviewed it. He, I think it was an okay thing not to not to call a foul on him, but he certainly overpowered the guy. And then if you look at the uh, Pulisic goal, um, where Zimmerman got an assist because the ball kind of bounced off his his knee, but before that, this guy tries to pull him down. He's like <laughs> he, he like mauls him and. Zimmerman just kind of like shrugs him off and then, you know, uh, but also he's, you know, he's, he's pretty good with his feet. I mean, he's, yeah. he can hit a pass. Um, you know, he's obviously got that, you know, he's, he's, he's the older player they need. Um, he's the best guy they have that's in his uh, late twenties, um, you know, which a team needs. That was one of the worries about the bear halter youth movement, which I uh, am a complete fan of. I think that cannot yeah. be stated that these they're lining up with uh, lineups that are on average uh, 23 something years old. And that's usually including uh, the goalkeeper. Um, so I think that's an amazing accomplishment to do so well in qualifying with such young players. Um, but you certainly need a, a Zimmerman. I think you can tell, uh, you don't have to be inside the locker room to tell that he, he's a guy who can probably, uh, you know, who's, who's got a lot of leadership skills. And, yeah, you um, see that. And he can back it up. You know, you, you score, you, you defend well, um, you know. And I kind of think it's really cool that he's an MLS, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, I Sometimes you watch him, I'm like, oh, I wonder what he'd be like in the Bundesliga or whatever. Like, you know what, I kind of like that he's here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think someone will try to pull him uh, there. But, you know, and I think, again, Soccer America mentioned it. Basically, what, seven of the players on Canada were from MLS? And, uh, you know, they kind of tuned us up up there. So um, MLS is looking good in this whole Oh, yeah, no, you know, we always talk about the U.S., uh, you know, why aren't we getting better, blah, blah, blah. Um, But everybody's getting better. And, uh, you know, that means that we're not going to just get way ahead of other teams because everybody tends to improve. And especially in our region, because MLS has become such a a competitive league uh, and such a good place for CONCACOF. Right. And even um, if you look at the Canadian team, you know, you got players that actually started in the academies. I I got an email from someone who um, 
said that uh, it was a really big mistake that the U.S. allowed uh, Canadian MLS academies into the U.S. Development Academy, um, which, you know, I, I didn't think it was, an, I, I think that's a big deal. I think it's actually pretty good that our neighbors are getting better and better and better because it's good for the United States. All right. Yeah. I mean, competition is good, but we've always had it to the South. Now we have it to the North. I, I think it's a good thing. So um, yeah. Going uh, back to the Walker piece also, yeah. I think he really, you know, got a big advantage when he came up through the LAFC uh, club because the way they tend to play in terms of their game model, his first couple of years there, he was challenged technically to, to, to play balls that are maybe yeah. a bit, uh, a little bit more complicated through some tighter windows, left foot, right foot, play between the lines a little bit more, you know, and I think that's helped him a lot technically. Uh, and then he's just got such a great personality where he embraces his defending, where I think that maybe when you say like, he's got, he's almost got like an old school aspect to him, you know, where he just wants to be a center back, but he's yeah. also been challenged in MLS to, to get better technically. And I think he's come up a level in that way. That's a good, the great thing. Players are out, allowed to develop now, you know, as they move in. What is he? I think he's older. Is he 26, maybe? 28. Yeah, no, but the talk, you know, it's amazing. That kid's had a hell of a journey. So, uh, and that's a, that's a soccer journey in this country. I, I think he said it recently and, or, um, you know, they call him the old guy, but, you know, 28 is, is a prime. Prime. Right? That's it's prime. <laughs> who, do, who do we pair him with? Do you think John Brooks is going to make another um, nah, comeback? So. Oh, he's done. Yeah, his, his, he's an interesting player in, in Germany. He has he's on like this weird roller coaster. It's been like that yeah. for ever since we started following him when he joined the national team program in the what, 2012 or something. Um, he does quite well. You know, he's got a nice left foot, strong, obviously. And then you, you see these reports about the coach saying his, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it's not a big deal. I mean, it's probably a normal thing for players to have ups and downs, but um, – it's weird, you know. Bearhalter would have called him in, and, and uh, I oh, guess it de- I guess it depends on what things look like before the World Cup and how he's doing. I mean, certainly he's got experience. He's, um, you know, he's played in the World Cup. So mm-hmm. as I look at the roster, um, I just thought of that. That kind of interesting question: Is there going to be any, you know, anybody on the team? How many players on the team are going to be there that been been to a World Cup? Right. Chris, I think from a coaching perspective, Chris, yeah. yeah, Miles Robinson and Walker, the more they can play together, the better. And you start to now see this roster solidify a little bit, you know, that midfield three, that two center back pairing, you know, the more reps they can get together, as Mike says, it's a young group. So the more reps they can get, cause they're not together at the club level. Um, this is going to provide real value for them if they do qualify at the, for the world cup that they get played in that way. I think we understand the goalkeeping position, you know, uh, with the options uh, with Stefan and with Turner. Um, I think the outside back positions are still to be determined because there could be some movements to that, um, some changes to that still. Uh, and then obviously you have the attacking pieces with maybe Reina coming back as well. So, you know, there's an interesting core group that's evolved out of this young group. Yeah. Um, so you would pair uh, Zimmerman with uh – with Miles or Robinson? For, for me, I, yeah. I would have Robinson ahead of uh, Brooks because Brooks for me, uh, you know, he, he giveth and he taketh away, right? So it's uh, – and, and I think Yedlin has a little bit of that too. He might make a play on one end but give up a play on the other. And I don't know if this team needs that. We just need to be a little bit more stable in the back, uh, try to give up less, uh, try yeah, to be less game, of a high wire act. You know, um, one thing that's – I really admire about Greg Berhalter as a coach is how he, 
you know, and it keeps players confident even when they make mistakes. Like I think it was Miles Robinson who had a bad game. I thought he was going to come off at halftime and Bearhalter supported him and he ended up doing okay. And he's done, done, you know, progressed quite well. Um, you know, Brooks made a couple of big mistakes in one of the games, uh, sort of his lapses where it was kind of a focus lapse, you know, that's kind of, what's weird. Like here you have a player and all of a sudden, well, how can this guy just all of a sudden lose his focus? Right. Um, but there's a difference between sticking with a player who makes some mistakes, who's, who's in his early twenties, you know, who's, um, and as opposed to a veteran who has a habit of, you know, phasing in and out. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe Brooks is, isn't necessary anymore. He's got some other guys and, you know, yeah, no, I agree. And, and mistakes can go into different pots, right? You know, there's different types of mistakes. And so the ones that Brooks makes for me sometimes to, to Mike's point is like, Hey, we should have evolved out of that already. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's still showing up sometimes and that's concerning. Yeah. And you can make a mistake in the midfield and get away with it or up front, but, uh, but not in the back they're costly. And especially kind of how everyone's trying to play out of the back, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's almost a, the central defender, like a Zimmerman now plays a lot like a midfielder, you know, like you said, breaking lanes and, and uh, threatening passes. Um, I, I think it's pretty obvious though, guys, that the leader of that team, as much as they tried to, to thrust it upon Christian Pulisic, I don't think he is uh, a great player. Um, I don't think he's built uh, for that captainship like a Bradley was, or um, he's basically, it's McKenney. Uh, he's got that swagger, that ability, the work ethic, the sort of cocky American attitude that I've waited for a long time to see a player like that. And he's like, he's like a diplomat out there in there on the field. Um, he's really the true leader, and he's not doesn't wear the captain's armband because of some earlier problems he had. Uh, I guess Mike, he finally did a press conference, right? Uh, first time since his troubles. Yeah, was he's? I mean, I. I'm pleased with him because a couple of years ago I was worried he was trying to be too much of a pit bull, you know? Um, yeah. He still sometimes I, fouls unnecessarily, but he certainly, uh, you know, keeps impressing me how much, um, you know, how much ground he covers, uh, how much playmaking he does. Um, and, and one thing that's kind of cool is that Bearhalter's figured out a way for him to roam the way he does and it not mess things up. You know, if you think back to the one of those, I think it was the first time they would U.S. lost to Canada way back when, when, uh, you know, McKinney was all over the place and that just confused the other players and, and th things looked like there, like there was a kind of a disarray there where they figured out how to cover for McKinney. Um, you know, he, he does have that sort of, I mean, he can obviously can be a knucklehead, but he also, uh, you know, has that, he plays with a smile and I'll always, uh, yeah. you know, I always, I always have a place in my heart for players who smile, smile on the field and remind us that it's a fun game, you know, and, and he's got a, you know, he's good sense of humor. And, and I think he, uh, you know, he, he, you're right. He's, he's got leadership qualities in that sense. So he'll, he'll, he'll have the band eventually, I would think. Um, but obviously playing at Juventus, he's, uh, it's really professionalized his game uh, through and through. Chris, what are your thoughts on Pulisic? What, do you think he's just in a funk? Is it because of Chelsea and, and what they're going through there? Or uh, does well, he try to do too much? Look, I, I would say as a player myself, when I would play down a level, I would try to do more than normal. Because you're trying Project, to what 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 level did you find from my high school to my junior high down team. from your regular level? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like saying like I was just like a, I was a ball winning midfielder, and then when I would play for like the Hartford Portuguese, they try to make the, like you got to score goals. I'm like I don't score goals, man. <laughs> Why would I try now? But I'm just yeah, saying. I like, think 
I think the ballistic question is a, is a huge question that kind of hangs over this team, quite honestly. You know, if, if, if yeah. Mike is, is speaking about, you know, the, the, the swagger and the smile that, that McKinney plays with, you know, yeah, I don't see that smile in Pulisic right now. And that's okay. I mean, we, go th- we all go through chapters where we don't play well or whatnot. And he's pressing a little bit and he understands that there's some responsibilities on his shoulders. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Landon coming up and, and how we, as a country, put a lot on his shoulders uh, early mm-hmm. on. And, and, you know, there, there were some, you know, starts and stops to him and how much pressure that we find out years later that really was for him and how difficult it was for him. So I wonder if there's some similarities to that, that only, you know, he knows on the inside. Um, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself as much as he normally would, but I think it's a challenge when you're not playing regularly at the club level and there is all that weight on your shoulders and the team is excelling and he's not really having a great impact in that group. You start to question yourself a little bit. I'm sure he's getting all the internal support that he needs. I thought the idea of not starting him was not a big deal at all. You know, there's three right. games in a short window of time. Well, it worked out really well, I thought. Well, he's a luxury. I thought it was great. I wouldn't have put a $70 million player on that field no matter what. And for Berhalter to wait until the end, and then he, sure enough, he comes in and scores. He did that earlier in the, in, the, in the previous window, right? Comes off the bench and scores. So now, I don't know. I have no idea what happened for why Pulisic didn't start. Uh, but uh, I can uh, I can speculate, and, and certainly in hindsight, it looks to me like you know don't you know don't don't risk him out there. You know, put him out there when the Hondurans are tired and ready. You know, and then he scores a goal. So now he's confident he's got to be loving that right he's got a goal under his belt you know he's counting how many goals he makes for the national team so i i think you know yeah you got you got to give bearhalter credit for the way he handled that one i think well you know this goes to your point uh, mike that basically player management and how do you you know chris you know this managing players uh soccer is a real confidence game you're, you're, you're playing well you're, you're getting cocky confident you're getting your reps getting some goals and then all of a sudden you go in a funk and a coach has to sort of stand behind you. I know what you can do. It's all right. You know, just work hard and practice, play simple, all that stuff uh, that happens. But I don't think, Mike, it was uh, a fear of his physical well-being yesterday. I think it was his emotional well-being. I think he, like Chris, to your point, he does not seem to be in a good place mentally. And I think when you come out there, a streak player like he is, and you come into the game and you have an impact right away, that's uplifting for him as a player. And I think there was too much pressure on him. We put a lot of pressure on him in the last rounds, you know, so I, th- I, think, well, he's I, think, a, I think he was just coaching him. You know? He's a little tricky player to figure out exactly where to use him, right? Because I think in right. the game, was it the one, one of the earlier games in this window where you thought he was a left, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't allow him the freedom to find the best place where he should play. But that also means you're going to have to, you know, shift things around. It's not a, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a nice problem to have, put it that way, you know. How do we right. get the best out of Christian Pulisic? And, and what happened yesterday was, you know, you know, was fine, you know. And, and we have to remember, right, didn't he come in? He scored against – he scored the second goal against Mexico, didn't he? Is that right? Um, right, yeah. You know, that's pretty big time, right? That was a game the U.S. dominated and you beat Mexico, so. Right. Um, yeah, I wonder how much of this is decided in real time versus somewhat pre-planned, meaning like, okay, you have three games in a smaller window – you know, how, how many guys are truly going to play 270 minutes, you know? And so with that being the case, you, you start to factor in, okay, when and where can I shave off minutes for some yeah. of these guys? When can they come off? When should they not start? So I'm curious as to how much that was pre-planned versus uh, decision. I bet you a lot of it was like everybody knew Honduras was not a good team. I mean, again, going back to this whole thing about 
trying to get an edge on a team that had not won a single game in qualifying that we beat 6-0 last time around. You know, yeah, we beat them four-one on their turf. So yeah, you could before they even started, you said, okay, well, you know, we're gonna we can rest guys and to st- we don't have to start the guy for three games and you know who started the other two in the last game against Honduras. So. Uh, hey, Mike, let's talk about Luca Della Torre. You, have a, you gave him an eight rating in your players' ratings uh, in Soccer America. It was, a, it was a pleasant surprise to see him play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll have to see what he does against a better opponent. Um, mm-hmm. the, but what I liked about him was how quickly he brought the ball upfield. Yeah. Um, and, he, he, and he's a dribbler. One of the biggest problems the United States soccer has had in our lifetimes is uh, one-on-one players, players who can, you know, dribble past other players. And, and what we saw with him was, you know, sometimes he would, you know, beat a guy or just even faint, make a small faint and bring the ball up quickly. But then also the two of us, you know, he got fouled for both of the free kicks that led to goals. Um, right. His passing was crisp. Um, you know, uh, you know, so we'll see how he does, uh, you know, and, and it'll, it also makes you want to kind of try and find, see how he's doing uh, with his club because, um, you know, I, I followed him. I remember back when he was on the U twenties, um, and I believe he went. Uh, he, he spent a lot of time trying to break in in England, so he kind of got off the map a little bit. But um, you know, it's another credit to Bearhalter for bringing him in, right? And um, yeah, and, and then he must have done well at practice and all that, right? So, um, you know, so guys, I'm like, if you watch the, or listen to Twitter, you know, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, God, the, the criticism, I don't know how you guys coach. I mean, especially Chris at your level, uh, a head coach can do no right. It seems sometimes with people. I love the fact, Mike, that we get to criticize a coach now because before earlier years, no one's like, Oh, we have a national team. Oh, there's a coach. I love that there's controversy now. Um, but I was thinking about a player like Kellen Acosta he came on yesterday, filled a role. And I think, He's the type of player a coach likes, but fans don't necessarily always appreciate uh, because he's doing a lot of things off the ball and on the ball that, it, you know, they're not goals or assists sometimes, but that's a player that you need for some cohesion. Chris, you agree? Yeah, you know, he's interesting because he's been picked up uh, by LAFC here, and I, I think he, uh, you know, uh, fills a role for them in terms of mobility and the ability to play passes that are both shorter and shorter and longer. Um, Going back to what you say about Twitter, you you know, everything is immediate and constant now and there's a, a a cancel culture out there. So it's a tough terrain to, to be uh, especially a national team coach, you know, where you only have a finite amount of time to work with the players yet you have these big games and they're all big games for the most part. So, you know, I think it's difficult to be in that environment. I think you just learn how to tune certain things out. Um, right. it, and so it, it gets a little confusing as to, you know, how Greg handles that with like in the middle of the game with the picture, with the fans, uh, you know, so you're opening the door to that stuff, but you need to tune it out. It's a little bit peculiar. Um, but at the same time, I think Acosta is a guy that I think has matured a lot. You know, I think there were times in his early part of his career where he uh, was less effective than he is right now. And, and now he's such a good soldier. I think he has a, a bright future and he's a great person to plug into this roster for the World Cup, in my opinion, because he can play uh, different types of roles in that midfield, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a utility man. Um, we got to get going in a little bit here. But uh, and, you know, we, we've got the uh, we got Mexico March 24th, Panama the 27th at home uh, in in nice conditions, nice soccer playing conditions, I would imagine. And then um, Costa Rica on the 30th. Uh, what I wanted to ask both of you is what's really coming out of this qualifying round 
and I don't, I want to wonder what the success, what the reason for the success is Canada, uh, our neighbors to the North, they used to, we, we would walk all over them. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, Chris, last week about, you know, some great players came out of Canada, but, um, but they were never a problem when we were trying to qualify nationally. I love the competition. It's great. Now we have a rival up North and we have one down South with Mexico, but what, uh, both of you guys, what, what are, what do you think the reason is for the success? Oh, well, the big one was is that they stopped being a British team. That was the main thing. They embraced the diversity of their soccer community. If you look at the roster, you know, they got, they got kids from with heritage from all over the place, Caribbean right. kids. I mean, you know, the parents, uh, either either recent immigrants or, the, you know, so they basically diversified, um, you know, their player pool, which, as we know, is a, is a, is a key to success. All you have to do is, is look at who the best club teams in the world are, right? Who wins the Champions Leagues? They're teams that have a mix of uh, European, Styles. African, um, Latin play. So that's one thing. The other big thing was MLS, um, the, the MLS teams having academies. Um, you know, Alfonso Davies came out of an academy. Um, so that was a big thing. You know, back then they were like, it was like England without skill. You know, they just didn't have, they didn't do anything interesting in their soccer. Um, you know, so, I mean, they're, they're by far the best team in CONCACAF right now. No. I don't know. I, I think we can stack up against them and win. I think uh, what I noticed at the Canada game was just a lack of, of our boys with a little bit of fight, with a little bit of uh, chip on their shoulders. I thought Canada outmuscled them and intimidated them a little bit, got inside their heads a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you, guys, you agree, Chris. I think two teams trying to play two, two very different ways. You know, yeah. uh, I, I agree with what you said previously where Canada is looking – to play almost the way the USA used to play, you know, maybe perhaps on the back foot and then with a chip on their shoulder and then break out. Um, we are trying to play a more proactive style uh, with possession oriented, positional play, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't do, I don't know if we're good enough at it yet, you know, because if you look in that game, I mean, you're talking about for all the possession that we had, they had four shots on goal and the United States had three, you know, and the expected goals, Canada had the, 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 favorable numbers on expected goals as well. So all that position went to the wind unless you're able to actually create true chances. And so from a data perspective, there's certain shots that are better than others. And we haven't done a good job with our national team against the best opponents at getting the shots that we want within our game model. Now, man, you could watch Man City play and, and they're able to play this kind of style and get the fantastic shots with, with high percentages that they want. And obviously those are the top, top players in the world and we're aspiring to play that way. But that's, this is going to be the ultimate question of this group is can this group get good enough to be able to implement their style and be dangerous against the best teams in the world beyond the CONCACAF? Yeah. I wonder though if the Canada had didn't have that early goal, whether it would have been a similar game because I know, you know, they, they seem to like not, they, they didn't stop playing. Canada didn't stop playing, but they sort of, certainly tried to be. They, they were more of a destructive team after they yeah, got they parked early. the bus for sure. Um, but you know, I, I think if they, I think they can do both. I think they can really take a team to some, you know, take a team to attack a team well if they want to. Is that your accountant calling? Because it's tax season. I don't know if you're getting ready for that. Uh, Mike. Uh, it's my agent. All right. Yeah. Well, he likes your job here at Over the Ball. <laughs> He's going to hang up ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> He's going. I'm going to get a call. We want to. We okay, want uh, to. <laughs> we want a health insurance and a dental plan and a 401k for his appearances on OTB. Um, all right. Well, but you're uh, not doing that Over the Ball stuff for free, still, are you? Jeez. <laughs> uh, of course, we all are. Um, so, all right. So, good stuff, guys. Um, 
look, we got the three points. I think we all breathed a sigh of relief with all this stuff that's going on. And even in the Canada game, was that field really 65 yards wide, uh, Mike, or 70 yards? I heard it was very narrow. It looked narrow. Heard everybody talking about it, but shit, man. You know, we've all played in all kinds of conditions. Yeah, I, I didn't follow that that closely. I just saw it later. I mean, there's there are standards that, you know, are supposed to be met. So, um, so Canada screwed us, too. So... <laughs> They didn't go within the lines. Um, and that coach, what's his background, Chris? Herdman. Yeah, Herdman, he's actually was on the women's side uh, with Canada, did a good job with their national team there and, um, you know, transitioned over to the men's side. And, and I think he's done a, a very good job of organizing them, creating an identity and getting them to be, you know, embracing this kind of underdog mentality. Uh, where, you know, I don't think we're all surprised when we look at their group of players because there's talent in that group, and obviously they have benefited from MLS, et cetera. But they also played that game without Jonathan Day or Davies, right? He wasn't uh, Alfonso Davies. Alfonso, yeah. There. Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's talent in that group, and they've got some depth now, and I 100% agree with Mike about the diversity that they've embraced. And so now they are a CONCACAF player, and I don't think that's going to change moving forward. Yeah. I was like, well, it reminds me, Mike, what you're saying, like, some of my English friends, they always brag about the Premier League. I'm like, hey, fellas, relax. The, the best players in the Premier League aren't English. The best coaches aren't English. It's just, just you got the best league right now and most money going in and out of there. So, um, all right, guys, well, good stuff. Uh, appreciate you guys joining us on Over the Ball. The next uh, U.S. men's national team game is until March against Mexico. That's a big one. Um, we'll see what Burhalter brings in at that point all right guys uh for for chris shamity he's my co-host uh new co-host welcome aboard chris we're happy to have you on over the ball um you're gonna have to brush up on your soccer knowledge though you were clueless during this whole segment so yeah i'll get the textbook out so sorry about that <laughs> you know you played left inner in high school and uh, now the game has changed a little bit since then and mike Wojtola, senior editor at soccer america thanks so much uh, for joining us on over the ball that's all the time we have everyone we'll talk to you next time on OTB.